Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. As a church, our desire, in fact, our our primary goal is to help a person become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, That is job one right there. We want to help you become more fully devoted to Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to help you come to know what a relationship with Jesus Christ is and how it's established. If you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we want to help you take the next several steps towards that goal of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Well, what's one of the most important things you got to know and act on and live by if you're really and truly going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Well, arguably, you could come up with, you know, maybe a half dozen or even a dozen you know, key things that you need to know. Well, the truth we're going to look at today, I think, is arguably the most important one because it's the first one that Jesus taught his disciples who were going to become the apostles of the church. See, here's where we were in the book of Matthew. We were we were in the book of Matthew, and what we saw was that Jesus was getting rejected. He had come on the scene, and he had said, hey, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the king. He's here to inaugurate his kingdom, and he was making that offer to the people. And some of the people were buying it, but many of the people were not buying it. And what we had just seen is that the authorities, the power people, the decision makers, they had said, we ain't buying it. In fact, these people had already come up with the the explanation. This guy does all these tricks. He makes lepers clean. He raises dead people. He makes blind people see and deaf people hear and, and mute people talk. He does all of that in the spirit and power of Satan. Remember that? He does all of these things, Matthew 12, in the spirit and power of Satan. He's not of God, he's of Satan. That was the official explanation of this character, Jesus, who came out of Nazareth. And so that was what the leaders were going to use for the next 18 months before they could actually put Jesus Christ to death. Well, it's interesting, what Jesus did was he knew, of course, as God, he fully understood it all anyway, but he knew that, okay, now the offer has been made, the rejection is on the horizon. It's just a matter of time before they officially reject me and actually kill me. Jesus knows all this. And so what is Jesus going to turn his attention to? He's going to prepare his disciples, these 12 guys in particular who had closely followed him, he's going to prepare them to become 
wait for it, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Was that not in a great transition or what? He, is, he, he says, you know what, I've got 18 months to help these people become the apostles of the church. I mean, if anything, this is like Apostle 101. This is fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, 101. Guess what? If you're going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be an integral part of the church, if you're going to have a life that really and truly counts for God, okay, this is something you've got to know. And this is the first thing he taught them. That's the truth we're going to look at today. So you're in Matthew 14, okay? Well, look what happens, okay? He, he, Matthew, as he's telling the story, he says, hey, you know what? John the Baptist, the guy that was the primary preacher before Jesus, who said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas actually kills him. That's what the first several verses, uh, verse 1 to 12, is all about. How Herod got himself into a situation and he finally chopped John the Baptist's head off. Well, look at verse 13, okay? Matthew 14, verse 13. He says, now when Jesus heard it, what did he hear? He heard that Herod had killed John the Baptist. He withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. We can just stop there. I know there's a semicolon probably in your Bible, like it is his mind, but let's just stop there. What did Jesus do? When he heard that Herod had killed John the Baptist, he had to have some alone time. He had some time to process it. Yes, he's 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And Jesus gets away and processes that. And it's like now he is going to withdraw and go kind of dark for a while. Uh, he, he, uh, interestingly, when, when John was arrested several months before, that's when Jesus went public. That's when Jesus started preaching to the masses But now that John is dead, and it's like that rejection that's out there on the horizon just got a little bit closer, because if they're going to kill John, it's just a matter of time before they're going to kill Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to not be public anymore, not as public anymore. He's now going to be a little more private, and job one is going to be to take these 12 guys and turn them into apostles who are ready to have the church built upon them. So back to the text, verse 13. So Jesus gets away to a lonely place by himself, but when the multitudes heard of it, they followed him on foot from the city. I mean, it's like he's up there on the Sea of Galilee. He sails across the Sea of Galilee with his guys, the multitude, they, they go around on the, 
on the banks and, and follow him. And, you know, it probably took hours or maybe even a day or two. But they finally catch up with him. Verse 14, and when he came out, he sees this great multitude. And what does Jesus do? I mean, he knows he wants to get away. He knows he wants to get private. He knows that his primary job is to get these 12 guys ready. And I've only got maybe 18 months to do it. But he sees this multitude, and he feels compassion for them, and he healed some of them. In verse 15, and when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, hey, we're in a desolate place, and the time has already passed. You've got to send these people away so they can go into the village and get some food to eat. And what does Jesus do? Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, you've probably looked ahead, and you see that what we're about to see is, is the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000. This is, this is the only miracle, or one of the only miracles, that is recorded by all four of the gospel writers. Matthew records it, Mark records it, Luke records it, John records it. This is huge. And I think one of the reasons it's huge is because it teaches one of the most important principles that these 12 needed to become apostles. It's one of the most important things that you and I need if we are truly going to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They, they, the disciples, they look at it and they say, man, just send them away. They can go to the McDonald's. They can go to IHOP, Waffle House. You know, the rich ones can go to Texas Roadhouse if they can endure the weight, you know. But, you know, send them away. And what does Jesus say? No, you, you do. You take care of it. Well, because it's recorded in four different places, a lot of details are in the other passages, and we can kind of get it from it. It's like, Jesus said, hey, what, are you, what do you got? What are your resources? And they had nothing, but Andrew went and found a kid, maybe a teenager, who had a, a lunch, and he's got five biscuits and two little fish. You know, so these aren't five big, huge loaves. These are just little biscuits, and probably the, the fish were like sardine types. I mean, just small little things. This guy's got a little snack. And Jesus said, give it to me. So verse 17, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples then distributed it to the multitude. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they, the twelve disciples, picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. Each guy, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Matthew, so forth, each guy had a basket 
and they go pick up all the leftovers, and guess what? Each guy's basket was full. They pick up 12 baskets. And verse 21 says there were about 5,000 men who ate. Well, we know there were some women in the crowd, and there were probably some children in the crowd. I mean, this thing could have got 10,000 people. But there were 5,000 men there, and all the people, other people with them. Incredible miracle. Now, you know this story. You probably heard it since you were a kid, whether you grew up in church or not. But this thing teaches so many incredible lessons. And let me, let me just show you a few of them. He, he goes there, and, and it's basically telling us that Jesus is using what's put in his hands. I mean, where did the miracle occur? You know where the miracle occurred? It occurred in the hands of Jesus. It's like Jesus is there, and he takes that, that, that first biscuit, and he just starts breaking it. And they must have had baskets. Maybe they figured out a way to, to do it. And he just keeps filling up the baskets, filling it up. And it's like they're looking, and it's like, man, you know, he's still on the first biscuit, and we filled up 20 baskets. I mean, how has this thing happened? Well, the miracle's happening in his hands. I mean, what an incredible principle. God takes what we give him, and he makes it work. Well, how many times do I need to learn that? How many times do you need to learn that? You know, I keep my agenda to myself. But God says, man, what you put in my hands, I'm the one that makes it work. Look at this next one. Jesus enabled them to minister. I mean, these guys were just ready to call it a day, send them off, get them out of here so we can get going, because Jesus, you know, he wants some alone time to grieve over John the Baptist. Let's just be done with them. It's 4 o'clock. I think we could have them out of here by 4.20, and then we can go take care of it. But who got the credit? I mean, in a way... The crowds are saying, man, look at that Peter. He keeps coming back with more. Here's his basket. It's always full. And, you know, hey, Peter, we need a little more fish over here. I'll be right back. You know, that kind of stuff. It was Jesus that enabled them to minister, to serve, to meet people's needs. What a great lesson. I mean, Jesus does that for you. He does that for me. You know, we always think we've got such incredible gifts. We are so good with people. I'm, I'm really good with people. You know, Jesus is saying, you're nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But Jesus said, you give it to me, I'm going to enable you to serve. And quite frankly, I, I, I look at my life, the, the, the times that I have been most effective were the times that I was in way over my head, and it wasn't anything that came out of me or my heritage or I, my education or my wonderful personality or my lack of a wonderful personality it came out of God doing it it's like where'd that come from I don't know where that came from that's one of the things God does when God is in it there's always enough and sometimes there's even more sometimes there's even leftovers I mean what an incredible principle I, I mean and we could we could go on I could stop right now and you guys could come up with five more that are probably even better than those but you know what? Remember what Jesus is doing. Matthew isn't just randomly telling stories. He is presenting 
a, a storyline, and the storyline is Jesus is getting those 12 in particular prepared to become the foundation of the church. They don't even know about the church. They're not going to learn about the church for another two chapters, chapter 16, when he, Jesus finally talks about the church. But right now, he is already training them. He's already preparing them for the role that he has. And from it, we can learn about the role we have of how to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. If you really and truly want a life that counts for Jesus Christ in 2023, here's something you need to know. That's what he's teaching. And, you know, when I take the big picture and I step way back from the storyline and just look at the overall thing, you know what Jesus was teaching these guys right now? First thing he wanted them to know, I think this is what it was. You can't do this by yourself. Matthew, you may have been a tax collector and you might have been really good at it, but you can't do this by yourself. Peter, you are an incredible fisherman. But you know what? You can't do this by yourself. John, James, you guys might have been the head of a fishing corporation. Your daddy had lots of boats and lots of employees. I mean, you were actually well-known down in Jerusalem. You're a rich kid. You're from a family that's got some means. But guess what? You can't do this one by yourself. And you could go on and on and on and on. What Jesus was saying is, guys, you're right, you can't feed these 5,000 people. You can't feed, take care of them. You can't give them what they need. You can't change people's lives by yourself. And, you know, you could just kind of expand it. I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, but I could just expand it here a little bit. I mean, he's basically saying, folks, because, you know, this isn't, he wasn't training them to be event coordinators. He wasn't training them as to how to put on a big banquet. He wasn't saying, here's how you organize a conference and make sure everybody's got coffee or tea or cookies or even lunch at the break. These people were going to become the foundation of the church. These people were going to start a movement that was going to change all of history. They were going to go out and do eternal work. And the only way you and I and they could do eternal work was through the power of an eternal God. That's really what Jesus wanted them to get. Now, we could stay on this story, but I want you to quickly go to what happened that night. Look down at, uh, look down at your Bible, and you see in verse 22, the next story is what happened that night. He fed the 5,000 that day. And then that night, look at verse 22, and, and Matthew writes it, connecting it, you know, like, like a novelist would. And immediately, verse 22, Matthew 24, or Matthew 14, verse 22, and immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And you get, I mean, I just think about that, and I'm thinking, these guys must have really been spent. They must have really been all, uh, tired. Okay, they'd had a long, hard day. You know, they'd, not only had they sat and listened to Jesus preach to these people, then they'd served all these people and gathered up all the leftovers and all that stuff. And so when Jesus says, hey, you guys get in the boat and go on, no one argued with him. 
I mean, you would have thought they'd have said, well, what about you? Aren't you coming with us? How are we going to meet up with you? You know, it's like, he says we can go to the hotel. We're going to the hotel. You know, he's on his own. I mean, I love that. It's like, they're, they're not sitting and thinking, what are we going to do? Jesus, you stay behind. You dismiss the multitudes. We'll catch up with you whenever. I mean, they were just gone. Verse 23, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he then again went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Remember, what's he doing? He's just trying to get away from it all because his cousin, his friend, John the Baptist, had been executed. He's, he's grieving. And so he, he goes away by himself, but when evening comes, he, and when evening comes, he's there alone. But the boat, verse 24, that was already many stadia, which is about 600 yards, it was a long way away. So it's probably already a mile, two miles out there into the lake on its way across. And it was battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's about three in the morning, the thing, I mean, this little trip that should have just, you know, taken a little bit of time has really started to take a long time. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answers him and says, Lord, if it's you, I mean, if you're not a ghost, if it's really you, if this is not a mirage, if we're not hallucinating, if this is not some kind of phantom, if it, Lord, if it's really you, and you know this story, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Now, let's just stop there. I know where the story goes. You know where the story goes. But let's just stop right there at the end of verse 29. That's incredible. I mean, Jesus not only walked on the water himself, he calls Peter, and Peter walks on the water. And incredibly, <laughs> Peter gets out of the boat and tries to walk on the water. We make so much fun of Peter, but, I mean, there were 11 guys in the boat saying, not me. I ain't doing it. I didn't speak up. You know, you go first. I'll try it afterwards. You know, or I'll, I'll, I'll be the caboose. You know, <laughs> that's what I would have done. <laughs> you 11 try it. I'll, I'll maybe try it after that. I mean, Peter did it. I mean, this guy, this guy's faith, this guy's commitment, this guy's gumption to go do something for Christ was starting to grow. And he gets out of the boat. Verse 30, seeing the wind, he became afraid. He began to sink. And boy, the smartest thing he did 
was he cries out, Lord, save me. He, he didn't cry to the 11 guys that have a lifeboat he cry, or a life jacket. He cries to Jesus. And immediately Jesus stretches out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you a little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, which meant he not only got him out of the water, they walked on the water back to the boat. That's when the wind stopped. It's like implying there that Jesus had created that storm to create this situation, to create this need, so that he could teach these guys this incredible lesson. And what was that lesson? We've already seen it. I mean, you know, I always like to ask, so what? What's the incredible lesson? You can't do this by yourself, guys. Peter, you can't walk on the water by yourself. But guess what? With me, you can. Eternal things can be done through an eternal God. When you give your resources to the eternal God, the eternal God can make something eternal happen. That's the primary lesson that he's teaching here. What is the first thing these guys needed to know if they really and truly were going to become the head of the church, they were going to become the foundation of the church, they were going to be the people who were going to be the the leaders of this next season of history since the kingdom was going to get kicked down the road and instead there's going to be the church for a little while What did those guys need to know who were going to see so much more? They were going to see Jesus arrested. They were going to see Jesus crucified. They were going to see Jesus raised. They were going to see Jesus ascend back to heaven and say, tag, you're it. It's all on you now. What did they need to know? You know what they needed to know? We can't do this by ourselves. We have to do this through Jesus Christ. What is it that Jesus wants us to know? What is it he wants every one of us who aspire to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? We have to be dependent upon Christ. It has to be Christ in us doing the work. Now, we'll just leave Matthew here for a minute. Do you remember that passage The night before Jesus was crucified, during the Last Supper, the after-dinner talk that Jesus gave, it's in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. What was it that Jesus talked about in particular in chapter 15? He said, you all need to abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me, and you'll produce fruit. You don't abide in me, you're not going to have a fruitful life. In fact, in verse 15, or in verse verse 5 of John 15, he makes that statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. So here, here's the question that, that each of us need to sit and ask ourselves if, if, we're, if we really and truly are, are aspiring to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Is that the way I'm approaching life? That, man, if Christ is not 
in it, it won't happen. At least it won't happen in the way God desires it to happen. It won't be of eternal value. I might be able to get through the project. I might be able to get through the conversation. I might be able to solve the dilemma or actually make the reconciliation. But if I want it to be of eternal value, if I want it to be in a God-honoring way, Jesus has to be intricately involved in it. It has to be Jesus in me working himself out. I mean, I can have a pretty good marriage that, that looks good. I mean, you can, you can find tons of people that look like they've got great marriages. And some of them do seem to have pretty good marriages. But if I want a marriage that is going to have eternal value, if I want to have a marriage that, that, that is accomplishing eternal things, I have to have the eternal God inside of me, and I have to abide in him, and I have to be saying, I want you to do it. If I want my life to count for eternity, I can't do it by myself. It has to be Christ in us. I have to abide in him. He has to abide in me. That is how my life, that is how your life becomes fruitful. You know, I don't know anyone that doesn't want a fruitful life. Everyone, you know, I I have yet to meet someone who's 83 years old who says, you know, I just, I set out to be mediocre. I... You know, I didn't really care. You know, we're, you know, my life, you know, it was just one big zero. You know, it, you know, probably give me a C minus, maybe a D plus, certainly not a C or a C plus. I mean, it was just, I was, I was below average, but that was what I was wanting. You know, I, I, I wanted that ever since, you know, kindergarten. I just said, I want to aspire to be below average. Nobody wants that. Everyone wants a fruitful life. Everyone wants after they put in so many years at this corporation or so many years in this marriage or so many years raising this kid, everyone wants that to have counted. That was, that was a good use of my time, talent, and treasure. Nobody wants to throw anything away. Everyone wants to aspire. We all, we all manifest it differently. We all talk about it differently. We all process it differently, but there isn't, there isn't one loser in the bunch among us. We all want to make an eternal dent. And how are you going to do that? Well, Jesus, the first thing he wanted to teach his guys is, you can't do it by yourself. The only way you can do it is for the eternal God to get inside of your life and make eternal investments of what you're doing. Is that the way you approach life? You know, I, I, one of the things I was sharing with the, the elders and their wives a couple weeks ago was what I want for us as a church and, and, and one of the things I want for us as a church, I want us to so manifest a Jesus-centered uh, culture, if you will, that, that when someone comes here, they say, those people were about Jesus. They, they 
those people were not there just to demonstrate or show off what kind of car they drove or what kind of clothes they wore or where they went to school or where their kids are going to go to school or how much they make or how little they make or, you know, how funny they are. What those people mostly wanted to manifest is they were all about Jesus. Just another way of saying they abided in Christ. Because we all have come to the realization that apart from him, we can't do anything. Let me ask you, the people that you work with, is that, is that how they would describe you? Would they say you are a Jesus person? You know, once, once they get to know you and maybe have that conversation, do they find out that you are a Jesus-centered person? That, that you look at life and say, you know what, I can't do this by myself. I, I can't conduct this marriage by myself. I can't raise these kids by myself. I can't spend this money wisely by myself. I can't negotiate these really difficult questions that life is posing to me by myself. Jesus has to be right there in the thick of it. Is that what people would say about you? It's what they should be saying about you. Because I think that's actually what the, the, one of the most important things Jesus wanted his disciples to know, and I think it's one of the most important things he wants us to know. He wants us to know that if we will take our lunch and give it to him, if he chose, he could feed 5,000. He wants us to know that if, if he chose to call us out of the boat, we could walk on water. And if we forget it, midstream, pun intended, we'd sink. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that when we give our resources to him, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, when we give it to him, to the eternal God, we're going to accomplish eternal things. And he also wants us to know that if we don't, we're going to sink. The only way to make an eternal impact is by working through, letting an eternal God work through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how you taught the disciples uh, this important lesson and how you want us to know it as well. Father, we, we live in difficult times. There's lots of questions that our culture is posing at us. Which way to do? There's, there's difficulties that uh, come our way. There's storms, there's wind. And Father, the idea of doing something impossible just seems so far-fetched. 
Father, we don't really care about the impossible. What we care about mostly is the eternal. I think every one of us here today, Father, want our life to count. We want to make an eternal impact. And I pray, Father, that today you would remind us very clearly that that's only going to happen if we uh, put you in charge and we allow it to be you working yourself out in us. Just before uh, we sing this last song, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to uh, talk to the Lord yourself. Father, again, we uh, we just put what we have in your hands and ask you to do what you want to do. In Christ's name, amen.